0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. It's been almost two years since Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine, beginning a conflict that has claimed hundreds of thousands of lives, according to some estimates. Ukraine has managed to hold on and even gain background from the initial incursion, but optimism that Western assistance could hand them a decisive victory has faded as the Russian war machine grinds on. Now, with the US military assistance stalled in Congress, it's the Kremlin that looks increasingly like it has the upper hand – The wartime efforts of the nation under siege is the focus of a new book, Our Enemies Will Vanish. It's by the Wall Street Journal's chief foreign affairs correspondent and Kiev local Yaroslav Trofimov, and he joins us this morning. Welcome to the program. Great to be on the show. We'll get to, to the substance of your book in a moment, but I'd like to get your assessment of the situation on the ground. Can Ukraine win this war without US military assistance?
1: Well, I think the question is uh, uh, what losses Ukraine will take uh, to hold ground and to keep resisting, because uh, uh, you know, every hundred shells or every few thousand shells that Ukraine is not receiving from the U.S. translates into lost Ukrainian lives. And there's a very direct correlation between the amount of ammunition it receives and how many soldiers uh, get killed by the Russians, who now have once again, a superiority in uh, weapons and ammunition, in part thanks to about a million shells they've received from North Korea in the last few months.
0: How worried is Kiev about losing funding from Washington?
1: Oh, very much so, very much so. Um, even though the US accounts for only about half of international aid to Ukraine, with the European nations accounting for most of the rest, uh, it's the US that has the stockpiles of ammunition of interceptors for air defence systems like Patriots. And uh, without American military assistance, it will be very hard for Ukrainian forces to hold the line.
0: In the last few hours, there's some pretty significant news coming out of Ukraine. President Zelensky has sacked the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Here's the statement announcing the decision.
1: Today, I have decided to renew the leadership of the armed forces of Ukraine. This is not about surnames and certainly not about politics. This is about the system of our army, about management in the armed forces of Ukraine and about attracting the experience of battlefield commanders of this war.
0: So he says, as as we could hear there, not about surnames, not about politics. Is that right?
1: Well, I mean, there has been tension between uh, President Zelensky and General Zaluzhny for quite a while, for maybe a year. And it's no secret that General Zaluzhny is very popular in the ranks. And whenever I would travel in the front lines and see towns or villages that were liberated by Ukrainian forces, the first thing that would happen is that his portrait would be stenciled on the walls, the portrait of Zaluzhny, the general. Having said that, um, you know, Ukraine is a democracy. President Zelensky has the power to change the commander-in-chief. Of the armed forces. And as part of this reshuffle, he's also promoting uh, several uh, officers who were starting the war as colonels or even below, who have risen through the ranks and who have uh, risen through the ranks because of the courage and the valor that he played in the battlefield in some of the turning points of the war. So uh, let's see how it checks out.
0: How will it change potentially the war effort?
1: Well, I think this focus on personalities misses uh, the point that the war has been run uh, for uh, nearly two years by a collective decision-making body called the Stavka, the High Command. President Zelensky is there, President, uh, sorry, uh, General Zaluzhny was there, his successor, the, hand of, uh, the head of land forces, General Sirsky was also there, as there were several other generals and ministers. And so uh, the importance of one individual in, in how the war is, is run is, is limited to a point. Having said that, General Zaluzhny was loved by the troops for uh, some very unconventional tactics he showed in the beginning of the war when he traded uh, territory for lives of soldiers and for time, allowing the Ukrainians to regroup and strike back at the superior Russian force. Uh, But uh, there have been disagreements between him and President Zelensky, and President Zelensky has the authority to fire him at the end of the day.
0: There are reports that Ukraine has lost many of its best and bravest soldiers. What is the state of the army now and where are they getting new recruits?
1: I think both armies, the Russian army and the Ukrainian army, lost uh, a great deal of its professional soldiers in the first half, uh, uh, first six months of the war. Uh, and since then, uh, both nations have been recruiting civilians, mobilising, uh, conscripting people, hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, Russia has one advantage here because Russia has been throwing into battle its criminals. Uh, Russia has taken and tens and tens of thousands of murderers, rapists, and uh, and other hardened criminals from its prison camps with a very simple offer: come to Ukraine. If you survive six months, you're you're a free man again. Uh, Ukraine doesn't do that, and so uh, as I'm, I'm quoting one of the commanders in the Battle of Bakhmut last year. Uh, A Ukrainian commander saying the tragedy of this war is that we are losing our best and Russia is losing their worst. That's true because so many of the volunteers in the Ukrainian army were the cream of its intellectual uh, elite, if you will, poets, musicians, uh, sports people. And that is really hitting hard uh, the Ukrainian society.
0: Some, like the European Council on Foreign Relations, argue Moscow gained the upper hand before winter and and given Ukrainian ammunition shortages, have an advantage as the cold begins to end in coming months. What could the next few months of conflict look like on the ground?
1: Well, it's been really seesawing. If you look at at the front lines, they haven't really changed much since November 2022 uh, when Ukraine uh, regained the city of Kherson in the south. Uh, In all that time, Russia gained one town, Bakhmut, at the cost of tens of thousands of soldiers. Uh, Russia tried to advance for several months. It failed. Ukraine launched a counteroffensive last year, also really failed, didn't give much ground. And now the Russians are on the offensive again. So it's a a war of attrition uh, with a great deal of casualties, but not much territory changing hands. If Ukraine is able to get its forces resupplied with ammunition, it will probably be able to hold the line through this year. And prepare for another counteroffensive, maybe at the end of this year or early next year. If it doesn't get the ammunition, however, there is this risk of a Russian breakthrough that could be catastrophic.
0: Your book takes us back to those early days before and during the initial Russian invasion. And Russian troops moved quickly on Kyiv. They took the airport and had reinforcements on the way. How close did the Russians come to taking control of Kyiv?
1: I mean, on the first day of the war, it was really a very dangerous situation because, um, as I was in Kiev watching, as the Russian uh, helicopters <coughs> landed, uh, hundreds of uh, elite troops in the Hostomel airfield on the edge of the city, and if they had been able to take it, then uh, planes would have brought thousands and thousands of reinforcements with uh, infantry fighting vehicles and other heavy uh, weapons. At the time, where Kiev was pretty much defenseless, however, the Ukrainians at the great sacrifice, managed to stop this onslaught. They managed to prevent uh, the Russians from being able to use the airfield by bombing uh, the, the, the runways. And, and that really saved Kiev in the first days. And then uh, the fact that President Zelensky stayed, uh, he rejected offers from Boris Johnson and other Western leaders who were telling him, come to London, set up a government in exile, you'll be safer there. And he said, no, I'm staying here. And he recorded this address to Ukrainians saying, we will stay, we will fight. And I remember driving through Kiev next morning and hundreds and hundreds of men and women were coming out from the high rises just to pick up weapons and go to the front line and stop the Russians. And I think this popular mobilization was something that nobody expected, not in the West, and not in the East, where everybody was predicting that Kiev would fall in a matter of days. Mm. And that's, that's really that unity really is what saved the country.
0: The title of your book draws on the Ukrainian national anthem. The opening lines go, Ukraine has not yet perished, fate will smile on Ukraine and our enemies will vanish. How does that outlook feed into the national psyche?
1: Well, you know, that anthem dates back to the mid-19th century when there was no independent Ukraine, when the Ukrainian language and culture were prohibited by the Russian uh, authorities. And so if you look at the path Ukraine has uh, has uh, sort of crossed since then, uh, all the achievements, Ukraine is around. Ukraine has managed to repel the Russian onslaught on Kiev. It regained half the land that was initially occupied by the Russians. And despite everything, it is there, standing and fighting. And so I think Ukrainians are still optimistic that uh, they will uh, survive the war and persevere and eventually win it.
0: Former Fox News host and right-wing commentator Tucker Carlson has interviewed Russian President Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. Before the conversation, he called out Western journalists saying they hadn't bothered to try to speak with the Russian leader. Just let's settle this here. Have you or or your colleagues tried to interview Putin since the 2022 invasion?
1: Oh, yes, of course. And, you know, we had a uh, journalist in Moscow. Uh, One of them is still in Moscow in a Russian prison for doing journalism in Russia. Evan Gershkovich, my colleague, who's been there for nearly a year now.
0: <sighs> That's uh, alarming. Can you just give me a sense of of what you know about his circumstances now?
1: Well, you know, he's been falsely accused uh, and he did nothing except doing his job. And I think uh, so far we see no indication uh of any progress in his case, despite the best efforts of the US government to secure his release.
0: Before I let you go, this morning you've landed in Israel. You are, of course, on the clock as the Wall Street Journal's chief foreign affairs correspondent. Do you have a sense from your reporting that the world, particularly the Western world, has conflict fatigue and is perhaps beginning to ignore both of these conflicts? Well, there's definitely
1: conflict fatigue, uh, which... You know, it's it's something painful to hear for people in Ukraine or in the Middle East, for that matter, because they are the ones who should be having the fatigue. They're the ones on the the brunt of all the violence. Uh, But I think there is also the issue of Russian narratives, uh, Russian disinformation really seeping into political discourse in the U.S., uh, where uh, all sorts of weird rumors about Ukraine become treated as sort of gospel of truth by some on the the political fringes. And that's really dangerous.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really great to have you on the show. Thank you. Yaroslav Trofimov is the Wall Street Journal's chief foreign affairs correspondent and the author of this new book on the war in Ukraine, Our Enemies Will Vanish. You're listening to Breakfast. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC
1: Listen app.